Welcome to the Work Camper Show, a podcast devoted to helping you discover how to finance your RV travel dreams. I'm Steve Anderson, the president of Work Camper News. Each one of our episodes will either introduce you to people who are already living the RV lifestyle or to opportunities to work short-term jobs. You'll also learn how to hit the road the right way and make the most of every opportunity. Now let's turn over today's show to your host, Greg Gerber. Thank you, Steve. Today I'll be interviewing two different employers. One is looking for volunteers for a neighborhood service project in New Orleans, and the other is seeking help at a nature preserve in Central Florida. Both offer a wonderful and inexpensive way for work campers to experience those regions of the country. Today's episode is sponsored by Work Camper News. With its diamond and platinum membership tools, Work Camper News is much more than just a job listing website. When you put the tools of this professional service into action, you'll find out just how easy it can be to turn your work camping dreams into reality. The one-year memberships open the door to a one-stop shop for all things work camping. Being the original resource for work camping, you'll find the largest number of job listings, be able to connect with the community of work campers, and view resources compiled by experts who've been enjoying the RV lifestyle for many years. If you're serious about leading a successful and enjoyable work camping lifestyle, then a Diamond or Platinum membership is for you. You can even get started with a free 30-day trial by visiting www.workcamper.com forward slash trial. Embark on new adventures today with the support of Work Camper News behind you. My first interview is with Laura Paul, the Executive Director of Lower9.org. It is a long-term disaster recovery site located in a low-income neighborhood in New Orleans that was devastated by Hurricane Katrina and related flooding. The organization is still helping people to rebuild their homes 16 years after the disaster. The problem is compounded by the fact funding doesn't even meet all the needs of the people in that area. When the storm came ashore, 98.1% of the residents were black and 60% were living below the average mean income. Consequently, Laura feels a neighborhood didn't get the resources it needed to help residents recover quickly. Today, work campers are needed to help build and repair homes. More than 91 houses have been completely rebuilt, and another 300 have benefited from renovation work. And Laura's crew does it all with an annual budget of little more than $150,000. Work campers are needed to help with building, but also with administrative tasks. That means if a couple were to volunteer and one liked to build and the other preferred office work, Lower9.org could use them both. The organization also provides other social services, such as a food bank for which work campers can assist there too. Work is performed from Tuesday through Saturday from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., but volunteers can work whenever they can. To tell us more about this opportunity to make a big difference in a neighborhood that could really use some help, please welcome Laura Paul, the Executive Director of Lower9.org, to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Laura. I really appreciate the time. Tell me a little bit about what Lower9.org is all about and what you use WorkCampers to do. Thank you for the invitation, Greg. We we are, Lower9.org is a long-term disaster recovery organization, which is something that hasn't always existed formally, I don't think, and in a lot of ways, it still does not. We are in New Orleans, Louisiana, in a, in a neighborhood called the Lower Ninth Ward which was very badly hit by Hurricane Katrina in 2005 and which is still recovering, believe it or not, from those events low these 16 years later. We are rebuilding homes in the Lower Ninth Ward or building homes from scratch 
or what we call legacy residents of the Lower Ninth Ward. Those are folks who lived in the Lower Ninth Ward prior to Hurricane Katrina. Population back then, the demographic was 98.1% Black. Over 40% of the population lived below the poverty line, and over 60% lived below the average mean income. So we're talking about a low-wealth community of people of color in the South, in the United States, who got a really raw deal of following a major disaster. And not a natural disaster either, but a disaster that was caused by engineering failures and by levee failures, and which, by the way, rendered 100% of residential properties here uninhabitable. What we wound up dealing with is a lot of the effects of, of a long-term recovery that is necessitated in large part due to institutionalized racism. And I don't want to be heavy-handed with that. But the program that was put in place to help Louisiana residents get back in their homes post-Katrina was actually found to be discriminatory in a federal court. Not until 2011, unfortunately. So a little of a too little too late type situation there. But we've been building these homes for these folks for about 16 years now. We've been doing it. We built our first house in 2007. And we incorporated as what's called a 501c3 nonprofit. In 2008, which means, hint, hint, that uh, donations are tax deductible. But we've been doing most of the work. To date, we've built 91 homes and we've done repair and renovation work on over 300 more properties. So we've got quite a lot of work done, more than anybody in this field and in this community. And we've done that with the help of volunteer labor almost exclusively. So what we're looking at is an organization that has a very small staff. And a lot of volunteers, skilled and unskilled, that step up to help support us in that building role. So we have a few folks who are what we call crew leaders, some of whom are compensated and some of whom are volunteers, who have the experience in building that we require in order to train up and lead folks who aren't necessarily capable of doing that work without direction. That's to, that's where a work camper would come into a situation where we would be working with someone who had that type of background and had the capability to lead folks in the field. Okay, so you're looking for work campers to be leaders on these construction projects, orchestrating the efforts of people who might not have the skill, talent, or experience in building. Is that what I'm understanding? That's that's the way that the organization is structured. Yeah. Now, not all of those folks are compensated. The folks we call crew leaders, some of them are long-term volunteers, but basically they're leaders of the organization who help us in the day-to-day -day work. And those, and the, the folks that we're really interested in having, and in my experience in the past, have often been people who are traveling across the country in their own mobile transportation and who are self-sufficient, who are, and I don't want to make sweeping generalizations, but a lot of times a little bit older our, a lot of our volunteer profile are younger, younger people. We call them kids. They're just joking <laughs> my age. A lot of college kids, a lot of people taking a gap year between high school and college or after graduating college. And those folks are young and eager and willing to learn and capable of lots of really great work. The roles that were envisioning work campers possibly fitting into a little more seamlessly would be those leadership positions that are oversight and training up. That's very interesting. I know that people don't understand the devastation that took place in that community. I visited in February after the hurricane struck in August of that year. So it was almost six months okay. later. February of Yes. And the yeah. homes were all still just the yeah. entire neighborhoods completely wiped away. So it wasn't that the category five hurricane did the damage, which it did its share. 
But then the levee failure came in there and just completely obliterated the rest of the neighborhood. So you're basically... Right, so that's what happened. Yeah, exactly. 80% of the city of New Orleans flooded in 2005. That's a lot, a lot that's of right. folks. Oh. But unfortunately, what happened was the recovery was really inconsistent from one neighborhood to the next. So some communities got back on their feet. Some residents got back on their feet relatively quickly. Unfortunately, that, that really does predictably follow lines of a class and race. And right? mm-hmm. if you're a lower wealth folk, your chances of getting back on your feet fast are significantly lessened. I remember driving through the streets and just amazed at seeing all of the red X's on the houses that were slated for demolition, which meant that these entire neighborhoods had to be rebuilt again. And the fact that you are still doing it 16 years later really doesn't surprise me when I looked at the number of homes that had been impacted by that storm. Right. If, yeah, people are always, if you haven't been here and I was always said this, you need to put your feet on the ground, even now, or even today, in order to truly understand what we're talking about, because it, it defies description and it defied logic. And so when you're trying to understand it from the perspective of somebody who is across the country and has not seen the effects of that storm and doesn't understand what low wealth communities struggle with after disaster, it, it, it is hard to get your arms around the idea that it would take this long. And to be fair, we're slow as molasses uphill in January anyway. Working with folks who need a lot of training up and not having a lot of capacity. We're a pretty small organization. Our annual budget is just over $150,000. It's We're small, we're, but we're spunky, and we, we get a lot of really good work done. Okay. How many homes are you building every year? Every year, on average, we're probably looking at, let me see how that works out, maybe five full builds. But I'll be honest with you, our numbers were higher in the early months and years following the storm. And the reason for that is twofold. First, we had a lot of, actually, it might just be the one sort of combined reason, which is just that the resources were there in a way that they are not as much now. So they've really fallen off. Volunteers, donations, just straight up financial support. The the res- the direct and immediate response to a disaster is always going to be an easier thing to, to facilitate. And if I had it all to do over again, I would have started talking about long-term recovery a lot earlier. I wasn't aware that we were still right. this long. And I'm, I've got to be honest with you, I'm from Montreal, I'm Canadian. And I came down in January of 06, so just shortly before you were here, to volunteer for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Wound up volunteering for just over a year and eventually moving and living here. Moving is a big word. I just never left. (laughs) But And then becoming a part of this community on the Lower Ninth Ward. I worked on four different disaster relief sites, and this was the last of them, was here in the Lower Ninth Ward. And then working with the founder of the organization, as a board member, establishing the organization and its commitment to this community and then finding ourselves here with still so much need this long after. There were lots and lots of folks who haven't been able to return to their homes. I would estimate, and you may ask why do I have to estimate, but I'll explain. I would estimate the true population return, that is to say, legacy residents, these folks that we serve, to this community is probably about 25%. Now, the numbers are higher if you're looking at demographic information from the census or from the United States Postal Services or households receiving mail. But what you're not seeing is a true picture of that all those are our body counts. For want of a better word, that's a terrible way of expressing mm-hmm. it. The population today and the population then 
compared. And the population today is about 40% of what it was in 2005 prior to the levy breaches. But that's not an accurate representation because I live here and didn't before. I'm not a legacy resident. So it's not true population return. It's maybe population, but it's not repopulation in the sense that you're talking about folks who've been able to get back to their home. The Lower Ninth Ward was one of the first areas in New Orleans where free people of color and freed slaves could own property. And people bought small plots of land, they built modest homes on them, and they passed those homes down from generation to generation within their families, which meant that the Lower Ninth Ward historically had the highest rate of home ownership in the city of New Orleans and had one of the highest rates of Black home ownership in the nation prior to Katrina. And unfortunately, those folks and that population and those statistics have been decimated by wow. that event and have not covered. Wow. I remember reading stories about the condition of the homes and that they were having to contend with mold and even asbestos because the homes were so old. Is it a safe environment to work in today? Black mold is an issue in Louisiana in general. And it's interesting because the climate, if you don't really, if you're not a builder or you're not working really closely with these types of things, you don't necessarily think about climate from one state to the next or from one region to the next and how that affects how you build, how people live. Black mold was a huge issue following Katrina. Every single house had to be gutted down to the studs. Right. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't say every single house. 80% of the city flooded. Every single house in the Lower Ninth Ward was either washed away by the force of water from the Levee Breach. Our industrial canal Levee Breach site it was a quarter of a mile in length. And the water that came that pushed that concrete wall flat was 25 feet in height. So wow. that force of water, like that's a tsunami, that's, that's a tidal wave. And so that washed homes off their foundations completely. You talk about the areas closer, farther away from that breach and or closer to the Mississippi River, you're talking about surviving standing structures that are still taking right up by the river between four and six feet of water inside, which is a lot. <laughs> It's not as much as 25, and it's something you can recover a property from. So what we did, or what organizations did, was go in and gut those houses, again, down to the studs. That means removing every interior component of the house, from the furnishings and personal effects of the family that lived there, to the sheetrock, to the appliances and fixture. And then that, that, and that work needed to be done by crews wearing Tyvek suits and respirators. Because that mold is toxic to inhale. We still struggle. I ju we just finished a full rebuild for a family a few months ago that had roof damage from Hurricane Ida. And then we can talk a little bit about why people live here. Is it dangerous? And I'll, I'd love to talk about that. So remind me to circle back to that. But what I will say is we did have a pretty significant hurricane in the form of Hurricane Ida the year before last, last year. Forgive me. But the effects of that storm were much more in keeping with what you expect hurricane damage to be. It was wind, it was rain, the things associated with that type of weather. 2005 and Hurricane Katrina were different and so much more of an impact because of levee breaches. There were over 50 individual levee breaches around the city of New Orleans. And the reason for that 80% flood rate is because of those levee breaches. And those are engineering failures. That's not necessarily a weather-related thing. Did Hurricane Katrina cause a lot of wind and a lot of influx of water into the city? Absolutely. Did that water and wind come down man-dredged bodies of water that were dredged by the Army Corps of Engineers and breach 
security systems in the forms of levees that were built by that same Army Corps of Engineers? Absolutely. Did those man-made structures and man-made systems protect the city the way they were designed and built to do? Absolutely not. Mm, that's unfortunate. So yeah. now you're looking for work campers to come in to help lead the construction crews, but also to do the construction themselves, correct? Yeah. I mean, we're, so here's the thing. The organization has all the needs in the world. <laughs> we, we can use help with administrative tasks. We can use help with, with residential construction. We actually operate a food pantry as well. We started a food security program during COVID-19 because we saw a need in the community that wasn't being met. So now we have a food pantry, but those are our core services. And around those services is just a lot of need and a lot of opportunity. What we like to do is, first of all, we work as a team. Whoever is on the ground in the, working with our organization at any given time, those folks are all decision makers. They're all leaders. They're all part of the community and of the organization. And we interact with all of them in meaningful, impactful ways, both for them and for the organization and the community. So it's really important to me as a leader that we deal with every volunteer or every staff member as an individual. And I call it get in where you fit in. And so we've had, we've had people come and they'll be like a husband and wife that travel together and he's got a background in finished carpentry or he's an electrician. Um, and she was a retired grant writer. He's <laughs> my dream couple. But for folks, their skill level is whatever their interests, wherever their interests lie. We try to honor that and try to not change the organization to fit them, but point them in the direction of the work in the or within the organization that makes the most sense for them and their level of expertise. Okay. So some of the examples of jobs that they would be doing would be the like framing of a home, right? And putting up the drywall. We, do every, we conduct every element of residential construction from framing on down to finished carpentry. Everything. Oh, excuse me. That's not true. I apologize. We do not contracted labor work. We don't do plumbing and electrical work. Those are, you're required to pull permits for that type of work. You're required to do that in the state of Louisiana and be really familiar with Louisiana state code. So traditionally, we haven't done that kind of work. We did have the first ever woman to become a licensed electrician in the city of New Orleans volunteer with us. She actually came through us through the ARP years ago as a volunteer. She was a volunteer to us. The P compensated her for her work. And, and she did electrical work for us because she had the ability to pull permits and do all the things that you're required to do that type of work. But generally, we undertake every other element of residential construction aside from those mechanicals. Okay. And are these opportunities that are available year round? You're building yep. all the time, correct? Yes. Okay. We don't work on Christmas Day and we don't <laughs> work on Mark Friday. Day. Okay. <laughs> and how many hours do you expect the work campers to work when they're on site? So our work week is 40 hours. We work Tuesday through Saturday from 8 in the morning until 4.30 in the afternoon. Volunteer schedules are varied and staff schedules are varied. I, again, it's a situation where we get in where you fit in. There okay. are things that don't work for us. If you can only give us an hour a day and you want to be on a construction site, that isn't going to work because it's just not enough time to make an impact or to to get started and stop, much less do, right. do that work. But Honestly, we're so flexible and we're in need of support of all kinds that we'll work with anybody in their schedule in, in all kinds of different ways. 
And these are all volunteer positions, correct? The majority of what we are able to offer are volunteer positions, yes. Okay. We do have budget for that crew leader position that I was discussing earlier. Those are folks with very specific skills that are related to, to residential construction and at specific times of year. So we have, for example, a very busy March where we have college students from all over the country who come to New Orleans to do alternative, what are called ASB or alternative spring breaks. And I've always, I've always tell people we're really lucky we're in New Orleans and not, I don't know. And every time I say this, I pick a different place and I'm like Nebraska. And then there's always somebody from Nebraska gets offended. I just mean we're lucky that we're in a place where people want to visit anywhere or people go out of their way to visit as a tourist, because that makes it easier for us to attract people to the volunteer work. Oh, okay. So the kinds of traits and qualifications you're looking for are people who like construction. I'm de- so if, again, if I had a dream scenario, it would be, I was going to say retired general contractor, but anybody who has that hype up skill set, residential construction specifically. But I will say too, we do have need of administrative support. We do have need of folks to help us run our food pantry and other, other things like that. So Again, we're pretty flexible. I would encourage folks to just reach out to me directly or to us and discuss what you might have to bring to the table and what you might be interested in. That's a great idea. Where would people contact you? So we are lower9.org. The name of the organization is, the website is my email address and others. So I am Laura at lower9.org. The nine is all spelled out. And and we're, we try to make that really easy. So my cell phone is on our website. The general information address is info at lower9.org, which is also on our website. We have a social media presence of sorts in Instagram, Facebook, and my goodness, Twitter. Pretty, we'd like our profile to be as high as possible. So I'm thinking we're pretty easy to get in touch with. And I am certainly accessible all the time. So happy to get a text or a phone call or an email from anybody who's interested pretty much any time. Folks are looking to reach out. I like that you folks are also teaching people these kind of important construction skills. Like you had mentioned, the high school students and the college students who are looking for something to do. I think that is a wonderful thing to provide back to that community. And so, but do people need the construction experience to come and work for you? Or can you find something for basically anyone to do? So I will say, and this this may sound a little, I'm not sure how to word this, but let me just say this. If we're going to compensate somebody, they need to have some skills. It's just we're such a small organization and our resources are really limited. Anybody could come and volunteer. Anyone. We're happy to have, have the work. Anybody can learn enough to make a really positive impact on a property or in our food pantry or in our office. And so I would encourage anybody who's interested for me, the most important thing, perhaps the most important thing is to have, it's very important to have somebody skilled for oversight and to teach volunteer crews how to do what needs to be done. But honestly, the second most important thing and maybe tied for first is just having a real empathy for the organization's mission and for the folks that we serve. It's really important to me that people understand why we're doing what we're doing and relate to the mission of the organization and to us as people. So we're all lovely folks. Everybody who works with us has been just delightful, really, with very few exceptions. We're very lucky in that the best 
possible people find their way to us and work with us because why would you do that otherwise? Even those of us who are getting paid aren't getting rich. So you've got to want it. You have to appreciate the mission of the organization and why we're doing what we're doing and the, the issues of social justice that we're addressing and the community that we're serving in. And then everything else, honestly, it falls into place and we just make it work with what we've got on any given day. So when people come to work for you and you had mentioned the hours that you're available, that you're open and you're actually out doing the work, they -hmm. don't have to work all of those hours, right? They can put in because they're volunteers, they can work one or two days and then take the rest of the week off. Is that right? What are some of the things that people can do in that area that would attract them uh, to work in New Orleans? Oh goodness. New Orleans is such an amazing place. I, you know, I don't, I almost feel like I don't even have to sell it. I feel like so many people are, you've never been, so many people are curious about New Orleans. I myself is, so I got here, what was I, in my mid thirties, I had never been to New Orleans. I had never visited. And my intention was, I was, I flew to Florida and rented a car. I was going to drive the car to California, drop it off and get on a plane and go home. That was my, that was my plan. And this is as far as I got. I knew I wanted to see New Orleans as I was driving, as I was traveling. And then I just stopped and looked around and what it was like then and just thought, okay, I'm, I can't in good conscience continue my self-indulgent cross-country road trip. <laughs> Stay here and dig in a little bit. And But the city is magical. There are so many amazing things about New Orleans. It, I will say it's a more difficult place to live than it is to visit. And you know, there are lots of issues that the city is experiencing that, that make it challenging. But it's always been a magical place to visit and to dip your toe in. There's, the live music is incredible. The people are unbelievably friendly and lovely. It's just, it's an historically magical and meaningful place to, to see. So if anybody is listening and hasn't been, you just have to, it's got to be on everyone's bucket list for sure. It's an iconic American city. Some amazing food there as well. Oh, goodness. Yes. But don't eat gumbo in a restaurant. You can have that at the house. And if you come, I'll make you gumbo. My gumbo is much improved, but I'm certainly no lifelong resident. Very good. So once again, if people wanted to come information about coming to work as a volunteer for you, they can go to lower9.org. That's L-O-W-E-R-N-I-N-E.org. Anything right. else you would like work campers to know? Gosh, I don't know. I just, I just, if anybody is curious and wants to know more, please reach out. Don't be shy. We're super friendly folk. We're doing great work. It is an amazing thing to be a part of. So I would encourage people to, to give us a shot. Very good. Thank you so much for your time today. And I hope people take advantage of this opportunity to work in one of the most cultural and historical significant areas of America. Thank you so much for your time, Greg. I appreciate it. I appreciate Laura Paul, the executive director of Lower9.org, for talking about how work campers can still help residents of the hard-hit Lower Ninth Ward of New Orleans. It's hard to believe that they are still continuing to recover from Hurricane Katrina and the levee breach that completely flooded the neighborhood and washed away every single house. The 25-foot wall of water that swept over the neighborhood when the levee broke caused significant damage. So people who are experienced in just about every type of construction can make a significant difference in the lives of people who really need some help. But even if you don't have construction experience, helping with administrative tasks and even grant writing will go a long way to helping Lower9.org accomplish its mission. 
Laura said work campers have tremendous flexibility. Whether they want to help for a few weeks or a few months, she is happy to put them to work. You'll be working with people of all ages, from high school and college students on their breaks to people just willing to help out whenever and wherever they can. New Orleans is an interesting place to visit. There really isn't another city in America quite like New Orleans for its culture, history, and amazing food. For more information about this opportunity, visit www.lower9.org. Volunteer opportunities are available all year. My second interview today is with Virginia Hamilton, an outreach and volunteer specialist with the Nature Conservancy. The nonprofit is active in all 50 states and 70 foreign countries. However, Virginia is looking for volunteers to help at Tiger Creek Preserve, a 5,000-acre nature area which is located about 90 minutes south of Dorlando. No, there aren't any tigers or big cats at the preserve. It was named after Super Clear Stream, where sand at the bottom resembles tiger stripes. Virginia is looking for two sets of work campers this spring. One opportunity is available now, and the other, which is more mechanical in nature, starts in May. The first set of volunteers would serve as preserve ambassadors by working as the eyes and ears of the staff. They greet guests and answer questions in an area where there isn't an office. The area isn't well known, but it is located at the highest and driest part of Florida. There are plants and animals found in the preserve that aren't found anywhere else in the world. The ambassadors would also perform outreach and education work in addition to trail maintenance. Virginia would like to be able to offer visitors interpretive hikes in that part of the preserve, and work campers would be involved in getting that started. The job requires 16 to 20 hours per week, or a total of 32 hours for a couple. Work campers receive a free, full hookup campsite, as well as access to laundry facilities. The only qualification for this job is that people be friendly and like being outdoors. Any educational or environmental experience would be a bonus. The second work camping job will require someone with trade skills in mechanics, electricity, and plumbing to help out with some special projects. Virginia doesn't mention this opportunity during the interview. She actually found out about the new position a few days ago. To tell us more about Tiger Creek Preserve, please welcome Virginia Hamilton, an outreach and volunteer specialist with the Nature Conservancy, to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Virginia. I really appreciate the time. Tell me a little bit about the Tiger Creek Preserve and what it's all about. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Tiger Creek Preserve is run and operated by the Nature Conservancy in Florida. The Nature Conservancy, if you haven't heard of it before, is one of the largest conservation organizations in the world. It's in 70 different countries and in all 50 of the United States. And here in Florida, we actually have four preserves that are owned and operated by the Nature Conservancy that are open to the public. So one of them is Tiger Creek Preserve in Central Florida. We also have Apalachicola Bluffs and Ravines Preserve in the Panhandle, as well as Disney Wilderness Preserve in Central Florida and Blowing Rocks Preserve in South Florida. But today I'm here to talk to you about Tiger Creek Preserve, which is located in Lake Wales. Is it safe to assume there are some tigers there? No, no tigers at Tiger Creek Preserve. It's actually named after a beautiful blackwater seepage stream we have that runs throughout the preserve called Tiger Creek. And it got its name because it's almost the color of tea and it's super clear. And with the white sand at the bottom, it almost looks like tiger stripes. Oh, that's nice. How long have you been with the company? 
just over a year. So I feel so lucky to be here. Such a dream come true. I've wanted to work for the Nature Conservancy for a really long time. And what is your job? So I am the outreach and volunteer specialist at Tiger Creek Preserve. So I do all the outreach and education work as well as manage the volunteer program. How many work campers do folks hire every year? So our work camper program is relatively, we have two sites for work campers and we're hoping that this position is going to be on one of the sides of the preserve that is visited very often, but there's no office over there. So the work campers on that side kind of act like our eyes and ears on that side of the preserve and act as what we call preserve ambassadors. That position really helps with visitor engagement, outreach, and education. So we work together closely. How big is this preserve to have two sides to it? Yeah, it's about 5,000 acres. That is big. Yeah. So how many visitors come there every year? That's a great question. I don't know that number off the top of my head as far as how many visitors we get. It's a hidden gem. I would say not a ton of people know about it, which is why our regular visitors and hikers really love it. It's a lot of times when you're out there, you feel like you're out there alone. I understand it's at the top of an unknown ridge in Florida. Yeah. So if you haven't heard of it before, the Lake Wales Ridge is the highest and driest part of Florida. It's above Florida before the rest of Florida was above water. So there's actually, it's called the ancient islands in a sense, because it used to be above water before the rest of Florida. So there's plants and animals that live in Lake Wales Ridge that aren't found anywhere else in the world. That's neat. What kind of jobs are the work campers going to be doing? So the work camper position we're hiring for right now, um, they do a lot of outreach and education work. We do preserve ambassador weekends that we call connecting with conservation weekends on that side of the preserve. And about once a month, they'll help with educational opportunities for guests who visit that side of the preserve. They'll also help with outreach events as well as trail maintenance and really keeping an eye on side of the preserve is a lot of what we're looking for. But also if work campers come with a special set of skills, for example, one of the work campers we have right now is a retired mechanic. So he's been really helping us a lot with cars, um, our vehicles and stuff like that. So really whatever the work campers like to do, we need help in all sorts of aspects. So we're open to it. (laughs) Are the work campers involved in any interpretive events? Yeah, my goal is to hopefully have more guided hikes on the side of the preserve. That's definitely our most visited side of the preserve because it's only a half mile hike to the creek. When you're looking down at the creek from up high on a bluff, which is very rare for Florida hiking. There's not many mountains in Florida, but <laughs> on the ridge, we're up on a little sand dune. So it's very interesting hiking over there on that side. So I would love to start having more regular guided hikes on that side. And if that's something where campers are interested in helping with, we would love to fast track the process. Tiger Creek Preserve has been having work campers for over 15 years, but this side is brand new. This work camper spot, we just hired our first work campers on this side last year. So they were sort of our guinea pigs helping us out on that side. And we've been so lucky to have them for this full year. Unfortunately, we can't continue to have them after this year, but we're hoping for another six months to year long work camper position in this year, just because training and onboarding takes a long time. And the longer they stay, the more capacity they bring to the preserve. Is this a volunteer position? 
Yes, it is a volunteer position in exchange for volunteering 16 hours to 20 hours, depending on if it's two people or one person. Uh, it would be 16 hours for both individuals, equaling 32 hours between them. But if it's just one person, we understand that could be a lot. Our request is 20 hours. And in exchange for an RV hookup, we also have laundry access on the preserve that they can use and get to live by yourself in the middle of the woods. Pretty cool opportunity. <laughs> so you will hire a solo work camper or do you prefer couples? We're open to either. Okay. And so long as it's 32 hours per couple or around that if you're a solo. So being year-round positions, that must mean the preserve is open year-round. Is that right? Yep, we're open seven days a week, sunrise to sunset. There's not really gate to the preserve, so it's open always. But yeah, it's free to come to the public. And like I said, it's not super well known. So it's part of my job to get the word out there. And it's just such a beautiful piece of land. And we're so lucky to have it. Are there any special traits or qualifications you're looking for in the work campers? We just request that they be friendly. Like I said, they're title is ambassadors, so they really act as the face of the preserve on that side a lot of the time when there's not staff over there. So we just ask that they be friendly and flexible and just happy to jump in wherever. We really love work campers that come with their own interests and ideas, and we love collaborating and working together to enhance what we do at the preserve based on their strengths. Are there any special skills you're looking for? If somebody has them, you'd like them to apply? Any previous educational, environmental educational experience would be lovely to have. Like I said, we would love to do more education on that side, especially youth education is what we're looking for, or knowledge of the natural history would be great, but also we're willing to train and someone really who's willing to learn new things, especially about the special habitat that we have at Tiger Creek Preserve. So a retired teacher would be ideal. Oh, definitely. Very good. So you're recruiting for people right now, is that right? What's the process or the plan involved in recruiting people? So as far as recruitment goes, we're open right now. We are currently hiring, hopefully to start in March, but it's coming up pretty quickly. It's a flexible start date, but as soon as we can get people in there, the better. Obviously, Florida is a little bit hot in the summertime and not as popular for work camping, but you stay through the summer, you get to stay throughout the nice cold winter months as well. And by cold, 70 degrees. What are some of the things that people can do in the area besides working? So we are in a really interesting location. The Lake Wales area is super close to Tampa as well as Orlando. So we're a rural community sandwiched in between two big metropolitan cities in Florida. Both of them would take about an hour and a half to 45 minutes, depending on traffic, <laughs> to get to. So obviously there's a ton to do in both Tampa and Orlando. Uh, we're also very close to Vero Beach on the other coast. So it's really an awesome spot to be in if you like to go for weekend adventures or stuff like that. And the hours that you're asking in return for the free RV site, are those like every day you're running some hours or is it one or two times a week? So that's up to the work camper. Sometimes we have work campers on a two-day a week schedule where they volunteer the same two days every week. Some volunteers they would like to do just a few hours each day. So it's pretty flexible and 
open for discussion, I would say. We do need help on some weekend activities, especially because that's when we do a lot of those guided hikes, as well as educational and outreach opportunities. So I would say to be prepared to work on some Saturdays, but it's not necessarily every single Saturday. So there'd be time for people to go all the way out to Key West if they'd like to, especially during the week when it's not as busy out there either. Definitely, definitely. What can a work camper do to really stand out if they want to work for you? I would say send us an email with your resume. Like I said, any public experience, any experience you have working with the public would be very highly valued just because these particular work camper position we're hiring for will be more public facing. And the Nature Conservancy, is there? are there volunteers needed at the other conservancies in Florida as well? Are you aware of Yeah. That? Disney Wilderness Preserve is located in Kissimmee, Florida. They also have work camper positions available. They are more seasonal, so they normally hire for the winter season where a lot of the snowbirds like to come down and visit us. So they are not currently hiring, but they will be definitely shortly. Is that part of Animal Kingdom? So Disney Wilderness Preserve, it's a little confusing because Disney's in the name, right? But it's because when Disney decided to build Animal Kingdom and Magic Kingdom, they built on some wetlands. And to make up for that, they've had to rehab some wetlands and conserve that land to make up for the environmental impact. So what they did is they bought some acreage and donated it to the Nature Conservancy in order for us to conserve that land and bring it back to its natural habitat. So we honor their name in the title, but it's not necessarily affiliated with Disney, but it's pretty close to Disney. And where can people get more information about this opportunity? So you can check out our website, nature.org slash Florida. We're also You could also look at nature.org slash Tiger Creek or nature.org slash Disney Wilderness to learn more about either of those preserves and our work camper opportunities. You're also welcome to email me and we're advertising right now on workcamper.com. Very good. Now, the Nature Conservancy, they have, you'd mentioned, affiliate offices in all 50 states. Yeah. Do all of them hire work campers or volunteers? Not all of them. But some of them just depends on the staff's capacity. But I would say there's definitely a good number of Nature Conservancy preserves that do have work camper positions. So if there are people who really like to volunteer and they're financially self-sufficient, they could bounce from one conservancy to another, basically, and enjoy the entire country. Yes, definitely. It's a great organization and a great opportunity. How long will it take you to make a hiring decision? About a month. A month. And that that's after the interview? No, not after the interview, just including the interview process. We were trying to fast track this position. Once we interview a few people after the position has been posted, we'll make our decision. And then really, as soon as those work campers can start, we would love to have them. Because our current work campers are leaving at the end of February. At the end. So it's an immediate need, basically, for a mm-hmm. new work camper position. Okay. Yeah. So as soon as they can get down to Florida and after the winter they've had in other parts of the America, that might be very enticing to come down there right now. Yeah, you're welcome. Super. We would love to have you. Thank you very much for this time, Virginia. I really appreciate it. And I hope people take advantage of this. It sounds like a great cause to support the Nature Conservancy and helping to preserve a very special part of Florida that people really aren't aware of. So even if they don't come to work for you, I think they need to come and visit. 
Yeah, definitely come hiking. It's a beautiful preserve and the amazing hiking trails and amazing nature that you won't see anywhere else in the world. So definitely come check us out. I thank Virginia Hamilton, the Outreach and Volunteer Specialist with the Nature Conservancy, for telling us about work camping opportunities in a very unusual and out-of-the-way part of Florida. The ambassador position would involve working more on weekends when people are more likely to visit the nature preserve. The mechanical position may have different requirements. Both jobs are open to couples or solo work campers. Both jobs will also offer plenty of time for people to explore the multitude of things to do in Florida, from visiting theme parks in Orlando to driving out to Key West. Don't forget about the Everglades, as well as the spectacular beaches along the Atlantic Ocean and the often calmer Gulf of Mexico. If you want an opportunity to live by yourselves in the middle of the woods in a very unique part of Florida, or you have mechanical, electric, and plumbing skills, Virginia would enjoy speaking with you. You can find out more information by visiting www.nature.org forward slash Tiger Creek. Her phone number and email address are available there. Today's episode is sponsored by The Dreamer's Journey. It's an online course and community produced by WorkCamper News. Life is way too short to keep your dreams on hold, so don't be held back by fear because you were designed for more. Get started in the RV lifestyle the right way with this comprehensive guide. For just $29.95 for one year of access, Dreamers have unlimited viewing of 50 plus videos to learn things like what type of RV to buy, goal setting, how to budget for the adventure, developing a positive mindset, setting up a domicile, and operating a small business on the road, plus everything about work camping, how to find the right job for you. Each video is 30 to 90 minutes long to give in-depth coverage on every topic. There's no wrong time to get started, so for more information, visit www.rvdreamersjourney.com. That's all I have for this week's show. Next time, I'll be interviewing someone from Texas who has an extremely lucrative work camping job available for people to work 24-7 as gate guards. Work campers can make up to $6,000 per month per couple. I'll have more details on the next episode of The Work Camper Show. Thanks for listening.